0: Welcome to the Adventures of Alice and Bob podcast. Today's episode is hosted by Carl. He is joined by Brian Honan, the founder and CEO of Iris and BH Consulting, to talk about how he created Ireland's first cert, why you shouldn't give in to ransomware attackers, and how tech will never solve all of our cybersecurity problems. Follow the human side of cybersecurity with the Adventures of Alice and Bob podcast.
1: My name's Brian Honan and I'm CEO of BH Consulting, uh, an independent cybersecurity firm based here in Dublin, Ireland, and we've been operating since 2004. Uh, I also set up Ireland's first computer emergency response team, Irisert, which was uh, established in 2008. and. We're still going and we have our annual conference coming up on November the 10th. So if people want to come to Dublin for one of the top cybersecurity conferences in in Ireland, if not Europe, you're, you're very welcome to come along. I've also lectured in cybersecurity in University College Dublin and the uh, Maastricht University. And I spent four years as a special advisor to Europol on uh, uh, Internet security. How I got into technology, I suppose I was always a, a tinkerer when I was growing up. I remember being in primary school in Ireland when I was in my fifth or sixth class, so maybe 11 years of age or so. One of the projects the teacher gave us was to build your own radio receiver. Uh, so that was built out of copper wire and clothes hangers and stuff, and that really got me into, interested in that. So... Uh, Anytime my parents used to hate it because anytime they bought anything new electronically, I'd take it apart just to see how it would work and and try to to put it back together again. I never got my hands on the television, though, which is probably a good thing, you know. So, yeah, then I left school, uh, got a job working in an insurance company, not in their IT department, but more in their uh, insurance renewals division. So, you know, being a paper pusher as as such, but they had an internal post for somebody to join their their i.t department to look after these new things called personal computers so that was back in 1987 i think so my first computer was an ibm pc1 which had two five and a quarter inch floppy drives and a green screen and that was the cutting edge technology
0: back then (laughs) so that's where it all started that's incredible and then uh yeah, since then, you, you've kind of evolved and grown with the PC. How did um, how did you get involved in security then?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I was lucky where I, wor- I worked. Uh, as the company was Irish Life. As I said, it was the biggest life assurance provider in Ireland at the time. Uh, so it used IT a lot, but it was predominantly mainframe and, and it had been using the mainframe from the 60s uh, onwards. So they had a very good... IT department with lots of excellent disciplines on securing and managing and keeping a mainframe up and running. So as the PCs grew more popular and cheaper and the company could see the advantages of moving certain data and functions from the mainframe onto PCs and network and mini computers, we actually brought the disciplines from the mainframe down onto the PC world. So, I have to admit, being you know, not being a mainframe person, there are times I was frustrated by all this process and paperwork, and uh, you know, we're just getting in the way of getting things done. Whereas, in hindsight, those fundamentals have uh, uh, stuck with me, and you know, a of stuff I learned back in the late '80s, early '90s, we're still seeing companies not doing them today, and uh, it's 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 carried on from there. But getting into security, what really kicked it off was one of the computers got hit by a computer virus. Oh, wow. Uh, And nobody knew what a computer virus was. And there was no Internet, really, then there was no Google to to, to look at. And uh, (laughs) I, I had a copy of a computer magazine. And in the back of it was an advert for a piece of software called Dr. Solomon's Antivirus Toolkit. And I remember ringing up our IT supplier and asking for this software and he tried to convince me it was a a spoof ad There was no such thing as this you know how can something like this be real but ironically enough uh, he, he managed to get me a copy of the software and set up his own business selling security solutions on the back of it as well so i suppose from small acorns all this stuff has grown you know so yeah we used that used that to deal with that virus outbreak we'd wanted two more and then people started to go, hey, you know, we've had a virus outbreak. Brian, can you help us with it? And I, f- I found that with the security community. Uh, it, there was no, you know, while you work for your company and you've done your best to, 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 to deliver for your company, there was always a sense of community that if somebody else was in trouble, you're able to reach out and advise people and provide, you aren't breaking any competitive or business Issues. You're 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 helping somebody saying, "Yeah, look, this is how you fix this problem." That's that's where it's been. It's it's been in an area that has fascinated me
0: ever since, and even today, I continue to learn new things, which is great. That sounds awesome. Especially, I think I, I feel like you're you're incredibly lucky to have had a lot of time in those earlier days with working through the basics and having that kind of background of this is where technology started from in, in a personal computing sense. Yeah. Do, you, do you ever feel no, it, that's kind of lost on newer cybersecurity professionals?
1: It actually is funny to say that, Carla, because I have a phrase that people roll their eyes when I say it. Now, look, look we're all familiar with script kiddies, yes. we know what that phrase yeah. is. The, it's the inexperienced hacker and I'm using quotation marks with the around the work hacker there who downloads a tool and points it at a website or a system and runs it and hopes to be able to, 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 to hack into it. So that's a script kitty. they're using somebody else's tool that they've no understanding of how it works or what it does. I also would like to say we have uh, unfortunately on the maybe on the network admin side, we have what I call click kitties. People who will <laughs> click on this, setup up next, 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 finish. Yeah, I've set up a web server or I've set up a DNS server. Or I've set up this server or whatever. Do they know how it works? Do they know the fundamentals underneath this? How, how fragile the whole internet actually is? Probably not, you know, uh, which, uh, yeah, so... Coming back to your question, yes, click kitties, I think,
0: can be just as dangerous as script kitties. (laughs) Oh, probably more so. I think uh, back in my career, I've definitely been a click kitty a couple of times. (laughs) I can can assure you, I think we all have. Um, Oh, we all have, yeah. Yeah. I I remember my first time trying to uh, get my head around PKI infrastructure to do certificate authentication, and that in my lab was a, a bit of a next 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 well there's some certificates but what does this mean and then yeah, yeah reverse oh, engineering what? back don't, from don't that. change that <laughs> <laughs> yeah why, why would i need to recover a certificate i'll just get a new one no yeah never work um see, yeah quite funny there oh man and then it sounded like as well with all that mainframe experience you're almost uh, a hipster cloud you know using the cloud before it was cool <laughs> can you tell us a bit more about that
1: yeah, well, like we had to, so we decentralized data center a mainframe, we, you know, there's two elements to it. Number one was the resistance being downsized and a right size, which is the phrase they used back in the day, onto working on uh, mini and micro computers and client server architecture and stuff. So, you know, there was that element, but you also had then... People's computers, or sorry, the, the, the computers they're using on their desks were changing from being dumb terminals, which were all uh, IBM terminals that were connected right back into the mainframe, uh, to being PCs. Uh, so you had both to, you know, for privacy with a mainframe, you just had to worry about the mainframe. You know, if your terminal got hacked or whatever, well, you know, it couldn't because it was just a dumb, you know, keyboard and screen. There was nothing else really there but now you had pcs which had hard discs floppy discs um eventually bigger discs bigger you know usb drives etc cd drives which people could and wanted to copy data onto not out of any maliciousness but just to get work done so yeah it's 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 funny how when you're in in the industry long enough you see how things happen in cycles, you know, like we, we I lived through the first, you know, maybe the first few cycles of uh, uh decentralized PCs with uh Citrix and all that sort of stuff and
0: now we're coming back to it with virtual workstations again. So it's uh interesting how things go. And then um I think following all that it was when you started your own company, right? BH Consulting? Yeah. What what made you kind of go down that route to be an entrepreneur? I always had the book to run my own business. And,
1: you know, when I, when I did work for Irish Live I actually had a, a, my side business as well. We were working and, and advising a company on developing a security product for Windows PCs back then, Windows three 3.0, zero Windows 3.1. And the two we were developing provided disk encryption, uh, user access management control, you know, because PCs back then there were, you know, every, anybody who'd access the computer could use it. So we tried to bring those things in. But uh, unfortunately, it never, it never succeeded took off. But we ra- I ran that as a side project. Um, and that gave me the bug. Uh, when I left uh, Irish Life, I joined a Swiss consulting firm uh, for four years. That gave me the consulting bug. I then joined a, a company in 2000, 2002, which was providing an online foreign exchange trading platform, which will be called the cloud now. But back then was a, 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 an ASP application service provider. You know, was, uh, and unfortunately, it was victim of the. Uh, that bomb and uh, I then took a job up for two years running a managed serv- security service provider uh, from 2000-2004. And in 2004, I kind of went, hang on, I'm doing a lot of work, doing a lot of hours. I saw, I saw there was a, a lack of independent advice for companies that had security problems, uh, you know, Back in 2003, 2004, if you had a security problem, you rang up your IT surprise, uh, provider and they might send an engineer in, and, and the engineer would say, "Oh, yeah, you need to you, you need a new firewall." And five minutes later, you get a phone call from the sales guy going, "Oh, we happen to have firewalls in stock. We can do you a special offer." <laughs> so, you know, and I knew then, you know, coming based on my experience. Technology is an important element in cybersecurity, but so is process, so is policy, so is uh, responsibility and roles and, and et cetera. So helping companies manage security, you have to put that framework in. And I felt the only way you could do it was being uh, an independent uh, advisor, uh, consulting firm. And I figured, well, if I'm going to do that so i may as well do it for myself and instead of working hard for somebody else make them money see if i can do it for myself so i uh, still haven't found the secret of making lots of money but uh enjoying the work <laughs> so far
0: and is it uh has it been uh, quite straightforward for you have you, you know, had a lot of successful moments
1: oh uh, look running your own business uh and particularly in cybersecurity has it's it's a very much a roller coaster right so first of all being a, a business owner you're, you're starting out by yourself and you're looking to build things up and you, you have to manage the business manage risk and and uh, like my father also told me that Brian, when you when you hire somebody you have to remember they don't work for you you actually work for them you have to make sure they have enough of a salary that they pay their mortgage at the end of the month because you promised mm-hmm. them you paid so you're, you are the last person to get paid in your company. And, uh, you know, very wise wise words from my, my my late father and I've stuck by them ever since. So you, you do have, you know, trials and tribulations. You know, obviously Ireland had the big economic uh, impact from uh, the downturn in 2008. There was lots of issues there. Uh, in cybersecurity, you, you have, you know, big ways of interest in, cyber, in cybersecurity is really important. And then it, then then it interest drives off. So you have to try and manage that. And, you know, you, we've built the business now. So we're now uh, between full-time and part-time. And associates, we're just uh, short of 30 people now with clients worldwide in many different sectors. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting ride. And as the company grows and the business grows, your role changes you know uh you, you can't be the ceo anymore you can't be the person that goes in on an instant and starts analyzing the logs because your energy is better spent in in, in making sure you've got enough work to keep other people busy so uh, yeah it's but i still enjoy it
0: i still enjoy it Kyle. yeah no i mean that's just an incredible amount of success and perseverance as well like wow you know 30 people it just it's incredible and and well done and and kudos to you you know that's that's an achievement i'm 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 very
1: very lucky i've i've a fantastic team of people around me who uh uh, who are just amazing like nearly every day i go wow that's that's brilliant you know somebody's knocked out out of the park for us and it's uh, uh i'm a lucky man and hopefully you know so
0: hopefully you'll stay lucky. <laughs> yeah, Fingers crossed. And yeah. we well, mentioned there uh, amazing teams. So it, it would be a bit remiss if I didn't ask you about setting up a cert in Ireland. Uh, is it yeah. Irish, I believe?
1: Yeah, Irish cert is it, 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 called, well, the full name is the Irish Reporting and Information Security Service. That's the official name, but Irish cert is it's more colloquial or, or shorter name. So I suppose when I set my own business up, Carl, as well. I could see. Look, there's a gap in the in the in the industry here in Ireland. Like we back then, we didn't have a computer emergency response team. And I've looked at other Western nations like the U.S., U.K., France, Germany, uh, other countries. They all had computer emergency response teams, which were providing services to their their citizens and their their their, their, their businesses uh, here in Ireland. We didn't have that, and I thought it was kind of ironic, given that, especially back in the early early two thousands, that Ireland was promoting itself as a you know, the te- technology hub of Europe and the Silicon Valley of Europe. That we were not ensuring the infrastructure that companies would rely on would be secure, and and you know, like most countries. The majority of uh, industry are SMEs. They're small businesses who, you know, who can't afford maybe to have dedicated IT or resources. And especially many, even fewer can have dedicated security resources. So I approached the, you know, I said, okay, maybe it's time to, to do something about this. Maybe I should help the government set something up. So I did approach the Irish government who you know, the great thing about being Irish, you're only one or two people away from somebody you need to get in touch with. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I approached some key people in the Irish government and said, look, we, I think we need a computer emergency response team. And the response was kind of lukewarm. It was kind of, well, we've had no major requirements or nobody thinks we really need one. And sure, if anything goes wrong, I'm sure we could be able to, to, to solve things. And uh, uh, so I took upon myself to go and lobby to see what was was it really, you know, was I trying to build a, you know, a field of dreams, if people remember that movie, uh, you know, (laughs) if I build it, will they come, or was I just, uh, you know, being a Don Coyote and and fighting windmills here? So I went out and I engaged with various business bodies and asked them what their thoughts were and opinions were, and uh, various security bodies here in Ireland, and uh, the feedback was, was was all in the yes, it's a great idea, we we need something like this and we would use it. So uh, provided the information to the Irish government, nothing really happened and then we had this, the DDoS attack against Estonia. Uh, suddenly oh yes, maybe a circus isn't such a bad idea after all and uh, <laughs> uh, more conversations. But again I suppose it's, it's like even in If people listen to this podcast, move it to their own uh, business, you know, a major issue will happen. So security becomes really important. And then if nothing is done, it just kind of drifts away. And that Mm. that kind of happened as well. So I said, okay, look, this is lasting, This, this is not going anywhere. so what i need to do is is do this myself so i was able to set up uh iris as a not-for-profit uh organization there are some like-minded individuals in the security community here in ireland who volunteered to work with me on it uh we got some funding uh the sands institute was were a big supporter of us early in the day and gave us enough funding to to get us off the ground and uh we started ourselves in 2008 and
0: have been operating ever since. I, uh, I, I remember or reading in kind of cover the show notes here that um, you had a really interesting story about sending insiders to a, a pharmaceutical company as well. Um, do, do you want yeah. to just share that story with our listeners?
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, one of the things we do as a cybersecurity consulting firm is, as we do, we uh, evaluate the security controls our clients have in place. So one of our clients is a, a pharmaceutical company, and they asked us, uh, yeah, look, can you test our security? And we went, okay, well, what do you mean, test our security? What What is the thing that keeps you awake most at night? And it turned out their biggest worry was the insider threat. What would happen mm-hmm. if you know, uh, a competitor or uh, a rogue nation state was, to, was to, to compromise an employee or get an employee in the business, or an employee decided to go rogue, what's the worst thing they could do? So that's the scenario we went with. So we actually worked with the CISO, who worked with the local IT manager of the plant here in Dublin, and their their HR person. And we had one of my team actually start working for the IT department on a Monday morning as if they were a new employee. So this person (laughs) rocked up hello it's my first day in the job and they're you know so they're treated like they were any other new employee would be treated Uh, they were given their laptop uh, scotch their cubicle given all the acceptance policies and everything else you have to read in your first few days do their induction and then after a few days was able to start seeing okay what what can we do you know the Like lots of companies, they they had the laptops locked down. Uh, They didn't have local admin access to their laptop. So that's a good start. It's a good start. And in fairness, (laughs) we have evaluated many companies who would give, especially somebody in IT, would give them local admin to their laptop. But the uh, my team a teammate was able to go and uh, social engineer the, the support desk, saying that they were really busy and then they would need to install lots of software and rather than annoy them and, and disrupt their day, give me the local admin access uh, local admin access and in a few days I'll tell you to remove it from you when all my software is installed and that worked uh, once they had local min access we were able to install a command and control agent on the laptop, which our pen testers then waiting outside were able to connect to remotely and then were able to remotely control that laptop. And From there, uh, over the next few days, we scanned their network. You know, we were able, you know, and, and our employee, our employee on, on the inside as well was during their day was, was looking for stuff. So going through shares, seeing what permissions were on folders. If there's no permissions on folders, try and get information, you know. Going into meeting rooms, seeing what code words or whatever else were on on whiteboards, then doing searches of drives or folders or network shares for those words and coming back with any documents that they needed. We discovered that the firewalls keeping their operations network I say from their office network. So the operations network group managed the manufacturing plant for the pharmaceuticals. Somebody put an any any rule into the firewall, <laughs> and nobody knew until you know. So we came back and we presented to the CISO. Here's all these reports with these code words. One of the code word actually was a commercially sensitive project that was a new product that they oh, hadn't wow. even given a proper name to and nobody should have been able to get access to it and of course being able to access the production network which meant you could potentially now we didn't try anything of course but potentially we could have disrupted the production line or altered the uh, process so maybe the drugs they're producing would not be as effective as, 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 as they should be so uh, it was a uh, It was one of our more productive, I'm using the word fun, but that's probably not how the CISO would would, 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 would describe it. (laughs) Terrifying. Terrifying. But, you know, the whole purpose of the exercise was to test the security controls and it was to go back to the business and say, look, security is important because this is what happened. And, like, the engagement lasted just over a week. So, you know, it didn't take, you know, if there was a rogue employee or – as an employee had been compromised or coerced in some way, it's better that we found the problems and, and, and they didn't discover them as a result of uh, any malicious activity.
0: Gosh, that, I mean, that just scares me enormously, but I mean, what a fantastic service to have offered, right? Just really, here's a real world example of how things could go wrong. Right? Yeah. And it's just for for someone who perhaps doesn't understand the ones and zeros and the and the kind of technical controls behind that just to have that real world impact of well actually I just walked around and looked for names of things to search like yeah. that yeah. you know really simple and it comes back to your point I think of people think a lot about what can we do from a technical control what can we do from a technical control but actually there you know a, a clear desk and clear whiteboard policy was probably uh, something that was implemented quite quickly at that organization it and was, it's just as important know. Yeah,
1: yeah. My, my other favorite story is uh, one of my other clients engaged us to see, again, could we infiltrate their office? So uh, we sent a whole lot of emails to people on the C-suite. Uh, we got an out-of-office message from uh, the CEO, actually, saying they're on vacation and would not be returning to, until a certain date. So uh, I arrived, I, rock, I, I looked at their annual report, discovered who their auditors were. One one of the big four firms. I then went on to one of the online uh, business card printing websites. Printed a business card with the logo of one that big four company with my name, and you know, as managing partner of such such a division, and uh, arrived at their office in my best suit uh, with a airline bag and my laptop bag arrive up the reception at two o'clock, which is the busy one of the busiest times to go to receptionist because people come back from lunch. Meetings are starting. Mm. Went to a site said to her, I'm here for a m- my meeting with the CEO. Uh she rings up and then turns and says, Oh I'm sorry, but he's on a he's on holidays, he's on vacation and uh so I throw a big stink. I go, Oh my God, I've just flown in. I've just arrived, this meeting's been going on for six months. I'm I'm part of your auditors th- Etc. Etc. Please, can you sort this out? So she starts getting busy, ringing other people. I then ask, can I go and use the bathroom, which is behind the security doors, the security turnstiles? I go in, open my bag, take out a change of clothes, and I dress like one of the employees. And then wait in the lift lobby, join, get in the lift. The lift, the lifts were swipe card control, but because there were crowds mm. of people coming back at lunchtime. Getting a lift for them, got out of the floor, sat down at an empty desk and plugged my laptop in. And uh, just as I'd done that, lots of people started to gather around me, and I was going, Oh oh dear, I've just been I've been caught. But it was actually it was a team meeting uh, in the sales and marketing team, and they're discussing their sales and marketing plans for the next six months. So I took a <laughs> picture of the meeting with my laptop and emailed it to the CISO who was happy to be two floors above me. <laughs>
0: Oh, brilliant! <laughs> I love that. Oh, the, the audacity of getting changed as well—like incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, and, and that's that's not the first time I, I heard you got uh, a little bit ridiculous with uh, some of the things you were doing. Uh, I'm going to ask you about the fun of USB drops. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, yeah. So that, and
1: that works quite well. USB drops still work quite well where you. Uh, you know, just put on a USB, so sometimes just leave them blank. Or what really works is uh, if you put a bit of Tippex on the back of the the uh, USB stick and put on, you know, salary rates for 20, 2023 uh, or mm. whatever the next year is. or And then you, uh, yeah, you just drop them around various different car parks. But uh, we did have one. Occasionally, that wasn't as successful as we hoped. So one of my colleagues was doing the USB drop and uh, right at the, the premises of the uh, the, the clients, got in the car park and decided to be inconspicuous by putting on a pair of sunglasses and a big dark leather jacket in the middle of June. And one of the hottest days of the summer we had here in Ireland, like it was 23, 24 degrees, splitting sunshine and walks around the car park. Dropping USB keys, but the security guards saw him and went, somebody here is, they thought he was breaking into the cars, first of all, you know, because he stuck out with a <laughs> yeah. black leather coat. And uh, I got a photograph of my guy being on premises from the CISO. So the security guards took a captured CCTV image of him, sent it to the CISO, and the CISO sent it to me saying, better look next time. <laughs> but, <laughs> The, the sting of the story is uh, that colleague eventually uh, moved on to another company and uh, his gone away cake. We had the bakers embed the picture of him uh, from the C- that CCTV image was the, the picture of him on his gone gone, gone away cake. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, man. And that was um. I was, I was really excited as well to talk to you today about some ransomware negotiation as well, because I heard your company's been involved in that too.
1: Yeah, well, we don't negotiate, I don't believe you, you should, neg- well, uh, you, you can, you, negotiation has its place, in my opinion, and that's often mm. where you're trying to delay the attackers long enough to, A, for you to confirm they actually have data, because, ransomware actors nowadays act in, different, in, in several ways. One is they encrypt your data and hold that to ransom, but they also threaten to release your data onto the Internet. So getting involved in negotiations can help you confirm whether or not they actually have data or what type of data they may have, other than you kind of going, oh, yeah, I better take this criminal at the word that they have my data. Mm. And it also gives you time to maybe try and recover The systems. Now, my stance is I would recommend to our clients never pay a ransom for various different reasons, you know, like you're supporting criminal infrastructure, etc. You know, you've no guarantee you're going to get your data back uh, or uh, recover your data. You've no guarantee they're never going to release your data in the future. Then they're not going to double dip and come back to you in six months time and say, pay another ransom or or we release it. You know, because criminals by the nature aren't the most trusted by the people, you know. (laughs) Uh, But it is a business decision at the end of the day for many organizations. If they feel the cost of recovery or the time to recover is going to take too long, that could result in them being out of business. Maybe the payment is is, is a way to go. Uh, Mm. So, uh, but thankfully, all the incidents we've been involved in so far, and I'm probably putting the jinx on it now our, our clients have never had to pay and have all been able to recover the systems
0: and it's um it's interesting as well i i also am a big fan of not paying for ransomware because it it kind of ruins the economic model i know i know a lot of the time it's very difficult in the pressured situation of having a business that's dependent on that data but yeah try, trying to break the economic model of an attacker is is something i'm a big fan of so yes i was uh, yeah i mean for me, I was thinking here, what could be more challenging? Are you are you stuck in a situation where you're dealing with a hostile ransomware group and the pressure is there and you need to make a call? How how do you even start with that conversation? Where do you go from there?
1: Well, the first people you talk to is actually the business owners. Okay. And they manage the business. If, what, what outcome do you want? And obviously the outcome is they want to get their business back up or running, and you know, are you willing to pay the ransom? And if you are, how much can you afford? Because you know, criminals will do their background. They will profile an organization. They will set the ransom at a figure. They're probably at the, at the higher end of what they believe an organization can afford. Because you know, if, if they've been effective enough, they've probably been in your account system, uh, so they mm. know what you have. Uh, you may have lying around. So. You do have to try and start. You know, if if you're kicking it off, you you, you need to take a, a very softly, softly approach. Uh, you know, don't be aggressive. Try and sort of say, look, we're we're looking to pay, but we, we we need more time, or we can't afford it, and just work work away from it there. But uh, I it's something to do that I would say would be very you know very wary and very cautious and if, you've, if you're not confident, doing it, do engage with somebody that has experience and is, is better able to do it. Of course, if you've got cyber insurance, the first thing you do is you talk to a cyber insurance firm as well uh, because mm. they may have uh, a stance on whether or not the, the ransom should be paid or how much they're going to pay for, of a ransom, or indeed they may have professional negotiators themselves. So have a look at that as well before you uh, start talking to them directly.
0: And, and is there anything, as an organization, you could do to see if you could just decrypt your data rather than starting that negotiation?
1: Yeah, well, one of the first things we recommend is, uh, and this is from working with, with our time at Europol and BH Consulting and our research are still both partners of this initiative. It's called the uh, No More Ransom Initiative. So there's a website called nomoransom.org. And anytime Europol have got come across encryption keys or their partner cybersecurity companies have come across encryption keys for different ransomware strains, they're posted onto nomoransom.org. So you can uh-huh. copy a... Uh, a file or a piece of information that has been encrypted and no more ransom will run tests against that file to see can it be decrypted and if it can it'll get it'll say here's the decryption key so you know if you're lucky the decryption key is there Uh, if not well then yeah you're, you're stuck with either recovering from your backup hopefully the backup has been secured and hasn't been uh, interfered with uh or rebuilding from scratch or paying the ransom and hoping that the decryption key will work
0: mm. and um i was, was going to ask you a, a question here as well what's what's the harder negotiation a, a software vendor at the end of quarter or a, a ransomware group <laughs> <laughs> uh Software vendor end of
1: quarter will always want to meet their figures, so they're an easier. The you know uh, the salesperson may be more forgiving uh, end of quarter. Now, <laughs> don't go and say that to your own colleagues there, Carl. <laughs> I'll keep and, that between uh, us.
0: Don't worry. Keep it between <laughs> us. If you want to negotiate
1: with us with a, with a security vendor, do it at the end of quarter when they're when they're trying to reach their figures. Uh, <laughs> ransomware gangs—they've got so many things going on, you know—and they probably, you know, they don't. They don't have the same maybe shareholder, stockholder, stock market pressures to make sure they meet certain figures. Uh, I'd rather negotiate with a sales vendor than a, a ransomware uh, gang.
0: <laughs> and I mean, I guess the same same applies with a ransomware gang as a uh, as a sales vendor is. It's really hard to tell kind of who are the professionals and who are the cowboys. I think yeah. is uh, something you're famed for saying. Um, yeah. Are there, are there any kind of giveaways where, you know, this might be a, a script kiddie just trying something out? Or, you know, are there, are there any kind of telltale signs you might see and think, actually, we're, we're dealing with someone who isn't a professional outfit um, in this kind of ransomware community?
1: Uh, that's a very good question. And to be quite honest, Carl, I'm not sure how best to answer that. You know, our approach, you know, so when we're working with a client, as I said, our punch has has fundamentally been focusing on recovery. So getting systems back up again, remediating the problem. And, you know, we, we occasionally, so like not every ransomware incident do we jump into negotiations. It's, it's only occasionally where we're going, okay, maybe we may have to pay. This ransom may have to be paid. Uh, so mm. we're looking for kind of proof of life. Uh, or secondly, we're kind of going, okay, maybe we need to just delay a bit further. But, you know, companies think about, oh my God, our data is going to be released on the internet. We could be in trouble with the uh, Information Commissioner's Office or the Data Protection Commissioner or what. But in reality, if you suffer a ransomware breach and personal data has been uh, compromised, you are legally obliged to report it to your supervisory authority anyway. So regardless mm. of whether or not the ransomware gang is going to release your data, you still have to report it. So, the breach has happened. And I think the thing I always say to companies is your best bet is to be transparent. Any t- any sort of breach, ransomware or otherwise, be as transparent as possible, be as honest as possible, and communicate as often as you can to different people to make sure there's no news vacuum. Because I think today it's a it's a, an accepted truism that you're not going to be judged if you suffer a ra- uh, from a, a breach, you know, because it, yeah, it can happen to the best. It happens to no everyone, thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's no such thing as 100% security. Nobody can guarantee to be 100%, 100% secure. What you may be judged on, though, is how you react to that instant and how you, you know. So, you know, we, we have, and I'm probably going to struggle getting examples on at uh, the top of my head, but we've seen issues in the past where companies have had terrible uh, responses to instance, you know, denied they've had a breach, and then try and minimize the breach, and then suddenly discover, oh yeah, actually this breach is much more involved than it was, and it was by sophisticated nation state attackers, and then subsequently down the road, you find out it was a seventeen year old in, in in you know who in college who, who broke in. So to me, that's the most important thing. Is is too often the focus is given on the attackers, on the criminals in a breach, be that a ransomware attack or whatever breach, you know, we kind of have this imagery, I think, in cybersecurity that the corporations are bad. And mm. if they, if, if they have a breach, well, they should have done better, but look how cool the attacker was. And look how cool the hackers <laughs> were, you know, whether they're, you know, whether they're criminal gangs or not. So we need to get out of that mentality because organizations our victims, just the same as you and I would be a victim if we got mugged on the way home from from the pub some night, we're, we're, we're all still victims. And we need to make sure that a victim of a crime is supported as best as possible. And that the impact of that crime on the victim is minimized as best as possible as well. So I think that's where our focus needs to be uh, as an industry and as industry media need to refocus on that and sort of realize, yeah, did this is where the pain is and the hurt is, and this is where the 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 victims are. These people over here who are breaking into systems aren't necessarily the Robin Hoods or the heroes that we think they are. And
0: you know, we should balance that uh, a lot. You know. Yeah. This it, like nobody ever sets out in an organisation to go. I'm going to make sure we get breached. Exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're humans, right? This uh, this happens. They're human. and lo- lots
1: of breaches are down because people are just doing their job somebody's busy to click on a link in an email because they thought it was genuine they didn't have the time to you know right click on the link and 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 read through all the 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 URL to make sure it's the proper one or right click on the the sender's address to make sure that it matches who the sender is meant to be or the it person who has got 20 different projects ongoing and hasn't had time to roll out the latest microsoft patches because their patch management system has been offline for for a month but you know that's not as important to keeping the point of sale systems up and running or, or other stuff so you know people don't deliberately go out to cause a breach uh well okay you might have a small m- m- minuscule, the but fractional percentage, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But the the people who we should blame for breaches are the criminals who
0: caused them. And that's a, a very, very valid point. And I think what al- what always interests me is that if uh, if tools could do all of this discovery for us and find attacks and exploits, we, we wouldn't really have much of an industry, and we depend <laughs> so much on people to to help us and build us and you know having that community around us is absolutely incredible and yeah yeah, certainly something i look forward to spending more time immersed in as we go kind of through these episodes and podcasts but you you mentioned earlier you've got a, a conference on in the next couple of weeks yeah do you want to just tell us a bit about that
1: Sure, yeah. It's the uh, IRISERT annual cybercrime conference. It's on November the tenth in the Aviva Football Stadium here in Dublin. So great location. We have some excellent speakers lined up so far. We've Miko Hippinen is going to be speaking at it from uh, F Secure. Jay Abaloo, CISO for Avast, is going to be speaking at it. Uh, Raj Samani from Rapid Seven is speaking at it. Uh, Rich Mogul from uh, Firemon, uh, he'll be talking about cloud security. Dave Lewis from Cisco Duo Security. So some excellent speakers lined up so far, and we're hope we've represented some of the from from other organisations that that are, and the plus have been confirmed. So we can't say them just now, yeah. but uh, <laughs> and it's all for the for the very high cost of 50 euro.
0: Um, oh, so. wow. <laughs> That's an incredible, incredible deal. So uh, yeah. where, where should our listeners kind of look to find more information about that? Well, the, the, the conference
1: site, the, 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 the IRISS website, I-R-I-S-S dot I-E, has a, we have a page on, on the conference there. So with links to the registration
0: page and everything on that as well. Oh, amazing. I hope, uh, hope a few of us get to go, maybe even myself with a chance. It's uh, very yeah. close to my wife's birthday, so we're well, fingers crossed. There you go. I'll, get, I'll get the pass. I'm sure she'd love to go to a security conference for her birthday. <laughs> you can uh, you can help me with some negotiation tactics uh, after we finish. <laughs> might, so, might help us can both. we go
1: back to talk about negotiating with ransomware operators? That's
0: much yeah. easier, I think, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's fantastic. So, um... I'm, I'm absolutely gutted we're kind of coming towards the end of our episode here. Uh, so I've got just a couple more questions for you. Yeah. Um, first of all, if, if there's a myth that you could debunk in our cybersecurity space, like, what what would it be?
1: Oh, no. A... A Technology or a tool is going to solve your cybersecurity problems. And I think, I think that's a big problem we have in IT security. Many of us are technologists, so we think in uh, binary, bytes, and uh, bits and bytes, ones and zeros. So it's a, we've got a problem. Buy a tool, fix the problem, move on. Security is not that. Security is not ones and zeros. It's, it's, it's different shades of gray and. Uh, you know, uh, not one tool or even many different tools are going to solve your problem. You have to, as, as you said, Carl, on, people are a, a, probably the biggest element in it. So th- that's to me, it's the biggest myth, you know, buy this tool and it's going to solve a cybersecurity problem. No, it's
0: not. Amazing. Thank you. And then, I mean, this one, author, CEO of an incredible consultancy firm, founder of Ireland, CISA, and a special advisor for Europol. What? what What's left on your to-do list?
1: <laughs> I don't I actually I don't have a, a to-do list as such. You now these things just happen. But look, I'm passionate about cybersecurity. I've always have been since way back when I saw that that first computer virus. It it, it, it just got my juices flowing for to to kind of a, a, a phrase. And uh, look, whatever I can do to to make this world that little bit of a better
0: place for others. Well, then yeah so be it that's amazing and then my my last question is there anything else you want to kind of put out there in the world that we haven't covered today oh god uh how long's the list
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no no there's like a, a key passion for me actually comes back to the question you had there i think what we need to do as an industry is is look at ways we can better embrace non-techie people in this environment and get rid of the m- macho approach that many people take, you know, like I've gone to conferences and I've gone to seminars and, you know, you, you think you, you've just met with SEAL Team 6 with the way some of the, the people go on <laughs> about, you know, like they're, they're, they're you know, they're, they're the cyber equivalent of Jason Bourne or something like that, you know. At the end of the day, <laughs> our jobs and our roles is to protect systems which protect people. Uh, and that's the way I look at it. We, by protecting systems, we're protecting people. And the more people we can get involved from different backgrounds, diversities, different backgrounds, different races, different genders, uh, everything, uh, experiences, uh, skills, the better we can protect those systems and better we can protect
0: people at the end of the day. Fantastic. and. Thank you so much for, uh, for giving us the time today. Okay. I mean, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. It's been an <laughs> incredible journey and in hearing a lot about your, your fun stories. I'm, I'm sure there's a few more we could share over a, a couple of beers in person too. Come to Dublin and we'll have plenty of beers and plenty of story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll do my best. Um, well, with, with that, I, I just, again, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us and being a, a fantastic guest. Thanks for listening to the Adventures of Alice and Bob Podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this with colleagues that'll get value from it.